Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, away we go. This is Scoops with Danny Mac, and this is the Thursday edition of the program. Great to have you with us. 65780. 65780. Love to get your feedback. Uh, on what we talk about on the show. Okay, so the Cardinals get the uh, two out of three against the White Sox. They had that doubleheader sweep, and then they had the split of the doubleheaders against the Chicago Cubs. As I said in the crossover, if you would have said that to me, I would have said, I'll take it. I'll take it and run and get back to Bush Stadium and start playing the Reds. Um, Mike Schilt was asked about just getting back to baseball, how they've handled this situation, and uh, just moving forward with the Reds coming to St. Louis. Candidly, we had a chance in this road trip to have won six games. Um, so we're not, you know, a couple games got away from us late, but golly, you're talking about unprecedented on a lot of levels and to play. And, and you know, you say in general, in normal times, you know, you'll take playing 500 on the road. And uh, we just did it in the most abnormal times that I hope I ever see. And I couldn't be prouder of this group. That's a that's a special group. There's a lot of heart in that clubhouse, and I appreciate the way they laid it out there from top to bottom, across the board. It's a true organizational effort, um, front office, training staff, everybody. You know, we had, you know, half our staff. We had to, you know, change up. I mean, talking about a group just played for the two and a half week layoff with a third of the team missing and um, not available and uh, half the staff not available and to play the kind of baseball we just played is pretty darn impressive it really was and uh, you know you couldn't go deep with a lot of guys your starters then you're relying on some of these kids that probably were not going to see major league baseball this year some of them may have not even seen triple a baseball and there they were thrown in against Uh, Two very good lineups in the White Sox and the Cubs, and yet they come out, play 500 on the road. So how does he manage players' health and the amount of games the Cardinals are playing right now? You know, putting an eye towards everything. You know, health, we said it from the very beginning last week before we started this journey, getting back to playing that, you know, we weren't going to compromise health. Clearly, innings need to be had and um, guys need to play. But, um, you know, that's my job. That's my job to, to cobble everything together and figure out the the best solution for the greater good that that particular day, that particular game, eye towards the next day. And, um, you know, having a lot of experience doing that, coming up through the system, you know, playing short um, with a lot of different different aspects um, teaches you a few things. But, you know, I, I can't only Corey, I just did my job. Well, he did. Did a good job, too. Managing in what is the most unique of circumstances. Nicely done by Mike Schilt. Game one got off to a good start because Matt Carpenter came up with the bases loaded. And I talked about it on the broadcast. And I said, well, Pat Tabler, is, it was something like, I, I think it was you know 480 or whatever. And Carpenter was right there with him. And then he hits a grand slam. And it's minimum 80 at bats. And after he hit the grand slam, he was hitting 500 best ever in the history of baseball. Minimum 80 at bats. 500. That's what Matt Carpenter has done. And he talks about his mindset going into that at bat. Um, you know, I'm really looking to just get a job done, which is 
make sure we score that run. I mean, we've got less than two outs. Um, we've had some opportunity. I think already in this series once we had bases loaded, nobody out and weren't able to score. So um, just really more than anything was looking to put a ball to the outfield that would at least at worst score one run, um, but was able to put a good enough swing on it that, um, you know, left the ballpark. You got ahead two balls, one strike. You could see it coming. Alec Mills didn't have much control, wasn't throwing very hard, left one up. Carpenter does what Carpenter does, takes it in. Uh, to left center, puts it in the seats. It's 4 nothing, and the Cardinals then never look back and win that ball game. So the Cardinals and Carpenter played pretty good baseball on this road trip. I'm very proud of our group. I mean, I think the way we swung the bats, having not done anything for 18 days or however long it was, I think um, is nothing short of a miracle, to be honest. I mean, I'm I really, really proud of the way we took at bats. You know, our, our pitching's been good. Um, and we played, I mean, we were in every game. Um, we played really well on this road trip. The Cubs got a good team, and we were, you know, we could have, with a couple breaks here or there, we could have won, you know, four out of these five games. So, um, just, I think it was a great road trip. Obviously, we would have liked to have a little bit better record, but, I, I mean, based on the circumstances, I think it's a great start, and I, I think we're going to build from it. Danny Mack, I'm concerned about Dylan Carlson from the 6-3-6. I am not. He's going to have to make an adjustment on an off-speed pitch. He's not seeing many fastballs at all. And that's going to be the adjustment that he's going to have to make uh, clearly moving forward in Major League Baseball. These guys are good. They're going to get you out. He's going to have to make the adjustment on a slider curveball changeup. He's seen a ton of those. They know he is a good player. They've seen him in the minor leagues. It's why he's one of the top prospects. So, that's what uh, you have to worry about. Danny Mack from the 314. Love the show. This is going to be a good pitching matchup tonight. I like it too. Uh, looking at Sonny Gray. So Sonny Gray was kind of lost. when. Remember when he was with the Yankees? They changed him up a little bit. Comes back. Gets reunited with a pitching coach. And this guy is really good. 4-1 and one, I think is his record. And uh, so he's gone back to some of the things that got him successful. And then Adam Wainwright. How about old Uncle Charlie? Huh? When they needed five innings... And this is the first time out. This is before we saw all these different guys coming up. And you're trying to figure out, well, what's it going to look like when the Cardinals come back? Old Uncle Charlie gives you five at the age of 38 with all that mileage on that arm and that body and that shoulder. He's something else. Don't think for a second he's going to be uh, not a little bit pumped up. And I think the team, just to be back home at Bush, fired up. It's going to be fun. It's a big series against the Reds. Uh, Danny Mack, the future of Johan Oviedo going back to Springfield, or did he show enough to push someone like Ponce or Hudson out of the uh, rotation? No, I, I don't think that's the case. I think this was a start, though, that showed that he belongs. And you have to be strategic on what you do because you got to think about where you're going to get innings. So maybe he goes back to Springfield to keep him on a rotation of keeping him stretched out because you have all these doubleheaders coming up. Maybe he stays with you and you throw him on the side. Um, I don't see him pushing either one of those guys out. Gomber, by the way, also needs to be talked about, too. Gomber had a couple of key spots in the game against uh, the Cubs yesterday. Came in with the bases loaded in relief of Flaherty. Pitched out of that jam. Then he had, uh, because he was running on fumes, got the bases loaded. Hit a guy, I think it was Schwarber, then walked two. And then able to get a ground ball and get out of the jam. It was interesting is I was really trying to pay attention to pitch counts with all these guys. They would get to the relievers about 25, 30 pitches, and boom, they'd hit a wall. That's when they'd hit a wall. I don't know if you noticed that, Scotty, but about 25 or 30, and you'd see them um, all of a sudden. (laughs) 
just not quite as sharp. And that's the difference. I mean, it's just so slight, man. It, it just it just amplifies how good these guys are. They're off just a tick. Major League hitters hit him. Why Why does that happen? Like, when you hit that 25 pitch range for relievers, like, why is that the mark? Is it because of the training and the prep to well, it's just, work for their the Cardinals, way up? I mean, but they haven't pitched in 17 days. Yeah. So they're not built up. That's what I noticed, is that these guys just weren't built up. And so you didn't have your long man, and really there isn't a long man in baseball much less anymore, but, you know, guys hadn't been playing it was just kind of fascinating about it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's cr- like, honestly, I thought the, even if the Cardinals had played a normal season, if you come out of a weekend series at White Sox, at the Cubs with that record, I think we would have came on the air and been a lot, a lot happier than I feel like, you know, some of the time we are, because this is, this is a great series this weekend. This is a Cubs team that has been dominant going into play St. Louis and the Cardinals nearly won that series. Yeah, it was, uh, I'll take it. Uh, six three six. Does Oviedo have the fastest reaction time in the majors? Happy he is alive and well. Couldn't agree more. I don't know if you missed it if you're driving around or wherever you're listening, but there was a comebacker. Schwarber hit it, and I mean it was a rocket back at him, straight back at his face. And thank God, got the glove up and really his pitching in because during the break we had a shot of him kind of looking at his pitching hand. The medical team came out and looked at his pitching hand. So he, to kind of visualize it, he threw his glove up and the ball just, boom, you know, he caught it. Um, thank God. I mean, whether he knocked it down, much less caught it, but protected his face, and Lord knows what would have happened if he doesn't do that. And you had the exit below like that. Like, you were like 109 off the bat. I was like, holy crap, Dan, how the heck do you already have that number? I mean, that was incredible by you. It was just incredible that he caught it. I, it just... Oh, my goodness. You, you know, you see those kind of times, and um, that also puts in perspective, like, how 60 feet, 6 inches coming back at 109 miles an hour. So we talk a lot of times about how a third baseman, when he plays in, and and Al Roboski would always say to me, and it's funny when he, I'd say it's funny, I guess it shouldn't be, but, like, they would, they would, I would always say, man, these guys come in, they play in, but anticipating a bunt, what if he swings away? And he says, how do you think I feel with 60 feet, 6 inches? I said, good point. It's a good point. You know, yeah. these guys are not protected. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of listeners now, you know, even this isn't that comparable because it would be like adult softball. But when you people know when you're playing third base and you're going to get a right handed hitter coming up to line one back at you. I know I'm afraid when I'm like that. And that's a freaking adult softball league, not right. the MLB. I mean, I can't imagine how fast that is coming at your face. Scary. So it's kind of a scary moment, but thank goodness that he is okay and we move on. And it's just, it was a loud out. And Oviedo actually, when he made the catch uh, in the blink of an eye, uh, kind of smiled about it. They checked on him. He said he was fine. He actually waved off the medical team, but uh, he wanted to stay there. And uh, and he did. He pitched after that and pitched, uh, I think it was a 1-2-3 inning. 3-1-4, Danny Mack. How about Goldie leadoff? Wong, 2 O'Neal three, Miller four. Um, no, no, I like Goldie three. Don't mind Miller four. I I don't mind switching things out. I like what Wong is starting to do at the top of the lineup. And hopefully, I got that right. What you're saying. Um, sometimes the texts they come in, and I, you know, Ryder, I I always mess up the text. It's okay though, but I do think uh, Wong, after what I saw 
two nights ago, started to get it going. And then yesterday during the double header, um, yeah, he started to get it going. And and when you know he's doing it right is uh, hitting it the other way. So seeing him doing that, the fact that he can steal your base, table set in front of Goldschmidt, I like that. The Cubs are unique too. Sometimes they'll put Rizzo at the top or as they saw or we saw the other night, I think it was Chris Bryant was um, at the top of their lineup and now he's nursing a sore wrist that he hurt in the uh, series against Cleveland. So we can get into more of that later in the show. Let's talk a little Blues hockey. We'll do that next. We'll break it down with Alex Ferrario. The Blues were up 3-1 and lost. Ouch. Next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Always good to have Alex Ferrario, and it's always good to talk about a win. But we don't have a win. We what? Oh, come on, it was three one, man. These are the games, Danny. That Alex. Uh, these are the games I don't like to wake up the next morning on. You know, like I just wish it was a uh, Sunday and nothing happening because I'd like to forget about what happened last night. <laughs> I, I just don't I, want I it to it. happen. Well, if the Blues are going to win this, it's going to have to go seven games now. Yeah. Okay. So let's break it down. What happened? Uh, the Blues go up uh, three to one. Mm-hmm. And um, the all-important game five, kind of the swing game of the series. You're feeling good about it. I have to admit, I fell asleep. <laughs> I'd done a doubleheader so. radio show, so yeah. <laughs> I, I was a little tired, but I fell asleep. I felt good about it. And uh, all of a sudden, I wake up this morning. Actually, I woke up in the middle of the night, and then I threw my phone down. I uh, saw the score. <laughs> I got a little upset. A little angry, yeah. Yep. Um, and they lost the game. What happened? They were playing well, too. They were, Dan. Um, you know what? The momentum shifted in that game to Vancouver. The moment Jacob Markstrom stole a couple of goals. Um, on top of that, it's it's exactly what Braden Shen said in the postgame. The Blues fell asleep for 10 to 15 minutes in that second period. They right. took the foot off of the gas. Whether it was being too comfortable with a two-goal lead, which... If the Blues look at their own history the last couple of years, you should never be comfortable with a two-goal lead because they seem to always give up The dreaded two-goal lead. It's the worst lead in hockey, isn't it? Don't give me that. I know. It seems it's the worst lead for the St. Louis Blues in hockey. Um, but from there, I, I mean, Dan, they, they just they stopped the forecheck. They stopped the offensive push. Defensively, they just got really loose in their own zone. Um, inabilities to clear the puck. And really, Vancouver's speed caught up with them. That's the first time in this series that five-on-five play beat the St. Louis Blues from Vancouver. It's the first time this series that that has happened, and I think that shocked St. Louis a little bit in terms of, whoa, what kind of team is this? So um, I think all of those things collide with each other, and it was just kind of the perfect storm for 10 to 15 minutes, and what happened was the Blues could never get back up on that horse and continue to push as they were trying to play catch-up hockey, and they've said it before. When you play catch-up hockey, especially in the second period, that's an exhausting brand. Um, all right, so if you want to talk to Alex here, 65780-314, uh, what, uh, what happened to the Blues defense? 
That's a great question. Um, it, it got really loose in their own zone with um, with the Vancouver push there. Um, I, I think some of that was just the confidence started to shift off of Jake Allen. That first goal, look, the first goal he led up by Tyler Mott, that was a great shot. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that one with that breakaway when the stick broke on Petrangelo. But it was that goal by JT Miller when it was underneath the pads of Allen and the whistle didn't come. And when he went from sitting down on top of the puck to laying down, puck came loose and went in the net. From that moment, it felt like the alarms went off on the Blues' defense of, okay, our goalie's not in it, we need to step up for him here. And when that happens, the confidence shifts from, hey, let's get into the offensive zone to, hey, we got to watch the puck in our own zone a little bit tighter. And then that's that perfect storm I'm talking about. You go from JT Miller, five minutes later, you have that rush in the zone once again, and the shot off the post down uh, parallel with that goal line. And then from there, it was the breakaway once again with that puck that bounced off the boards and the linesman. So the question will be, do you go back to Bennington? I think you have to. I, I said this to you the other, I think it was after game four, Dan, and I said, look, Jake Allen doesn't come out of net unless he has a bad game. And unfortunately for Jake Allen, he had a rough game. I, now, that this loss was not all on Jake Allen. Let me be very clear on that because he did stop 10 of 11 shots in that first period. He was stopping all of the shots in the third period when Vancouver pushed, but two or three of those goals that he let up, he would tell you he wants back, and it was that it was that lack of confidence in net for Jake because he was looking behind him when he was pinching the post on that goal that tied it up. You saw him look behind him like he wasn't sure if he had it. That's a different Jake Allen than the first or the last two games where he made the stop, covered it up, and you knew it was there. So if you're Craig Berube, you know I can make a case for both sides, Dan. I can make the case of going back to Jake and let him get back in that. But if it were me, I'm going back to Bennington, who sat the last two games, who knows he needs to be better, and has shown you that he can steal hockey games for you. 3-1-4, Vancouver's pace of play and aggressiveness changed when Markstrom made the that extra crazy um, save. Yeah. I would agree with that. I would, too. He made three straight saves, Dan, in about four or five minutes in that second period that if the Blues would have scored game would have been over. You're talking about a 6-1 lead at that point. Sanford scores that goal. A puck goes off of the boards that Alex Petrangelo shot, bounces right back to De La Rose, and a bouncing puck that he didn't get all of goes right into the pads of Jacob Markstrom. David Piranha, one-time shot in front of the net, hits the pillows of Markstrom, and it's out of the it's it's above him. Robert Thomas, the same thing. So those two are those three misses there by the Blues on open nets or big scoring chances and Markstrom breathing life into Vancouver is what shifted that momentum. You saw it on the bench, Dan. JT Miller was barking to his teammates like, guys, our goalie just put us back in this hockey game. It's a two-goal lead. The next goal is going to put us into it, and that's exactly what happened. And I think on the other side, the Blues saw that momentum push, and it just was kind of a head dip situation of, oh boy, here we go again. 3-1-4, Blues are beating up Vancouver, where them down what happened to the blues beating them up it, it disappeared um and that's the there were 42 hits last night dan for the blues i say that and i go i don't feel like there were 42 hits in that game i think if there were 42 hits a lot of those hits came on the defensive side when the blues were trying to get the puck away from vancouver the blues in games three and games four they out hit vancouver but it was in the offensive zone i talked about how the the canucks were apprehensive to touch the puck because shen and schwartz and perron they were laying into these guys and they were turning pucks over blues just weren't doing that and i think it was more because you were playing in the defensive zone but it was puck possession too i mean you look 
look at the Corsi rating for Ryan O'Reilly's line, it was below 50%. I mean, that's that's not what that what team happened is used to. that line? It just it didn't work. It wasn't working for some reason. I don't know if you got, you can give credit to Vancouver because I think they played a very sound defensive game, um, but it, it it just wasn't the right chemistry there. Guys were off. They weren't in the right spots. Ryan O'Reilly, of course, still scores a, a goal, which is just incredible in itself. Um, but it, it from Craig Berube's eyes, it just wasn't matching up with what they had done in games three and games four. And the third period shows it. He took Schwartz off of that line, put him up with Braden Shen and Robert Thomas, which in that third period, they had more offensive chances. And then they put Sammy Blay with O'Reilly and Perron. So when Berube starts to juggle those lines, something's not right with them on the ice and the chemistry just broke apart for that top line. Do you see lineup changes going ahead in game six? The only lineup change that I could potentially see is is maybe to try and get Mackenzie McEachern or Alexander Steen back in, but I don't really know how that's going to benefit you because then you're taking out De La Rose and I thought De La Rose had a good game again. He only played about seven or eight minutes, but the guy who wins faceoffs, he was very strong on the penalty kill, and the fourth line was actually justifiably good offensively. They had a couple of chances. Now, they only played about eight or nine minutes, but still, they were effective out there. Um, if Steen's ready, I could see Steen getting back into the lineup. I can see them trying to get Carl Gunnarsson back in. Bortuzzo was okay, but it wasn't great, um, and, and I can see Bennington getting the net, so those would be my only changes if I'm Craig Berube. Blues got away from the forecheck, didn't they? They did. They, they really did. You didn't see that cycle of the puck. You saw the one and duns that we saw in games one and games two. When the puck goes in, Blues are hard on the forecheck. They're pressuring Vancouver's defensemen to rush the pass up the ice, and that results in two guys. They weren't winning the puck battles on the board, Dan. There's usually two or three guys on the puck when it's in a corner, and they come away with it, and they're pushing it into the net. The defensemen weren't jumping up into the rush. Alex Petrangelo, Justin Falk, Colton Pareko, they really were existent in the offensive zone. That's a big, big pulse of this offense. And without that forecheck, without that puck possession, without the cycling of the puck, you really can't get your chemistry going. And I think once Vancouver started to score, that's where you saw that puck possession and forecheck disappear. The first period, it was there. First period, they were they were on Vancouver. But it was once Vancouver started to, to breathe life into themselves is when that puck possession and forecheck disappeared. So what did the Blues do today? Do they skate? They take the day off. What do they do? I think they're going to, well, they will skate. I don't know if it's going to be a full practice. It might be an optional skate. Let these guys just get out there, feel it out, because, look, they did have a hard-fought battle last night. There were 85 hits in that game. Um you gotta you gotta hit the ice though because you gotta go through a lot of film and just kind of sit there and look at what went wrong. Penalty kill was there; it was very good again. Power play was very good again, but they gotta find a way to tighten it up in their own zone, and they gotta find a way to get to the forecheck. I don't know if a practice helps you get to that point. Jaden Short said it last night. We know what we need to do; we just have to channel what we do and get to it faster. If they can find a way to get to that and keep it for a full sixty minutes. Vancouver's going to be in a tight spot, but the Blues are just going to have to do that. So I think rest is going to benefit them more than going hard at a practice. How about Barbashev? You saw him return. Yeah, I thought Barbashev was good. You know, look, that um, that first goal that Braden Shen scored, that was a result of the forecheck of Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev. Puck goes in, fourth line's going after it. Sundquist lays the hit on the boards. 
puck comes out right to Braden Shen for a shot on the line shift, but guess who's in front of the net? It's number 49 screening Jacob Markstrom. That's where he's at best is going to the front of the net. He took a penalty that was probably an unnecessary penalty, just a fired up Ivan Barbashev that took the high stick. Um, His physical aspect really wasn't there like we have seen in the past, but in all due respect to Barbashev, there wasn't a lot of time for that fourth line in that game. And look, he has missed a little over a week, so they weren't going to throw this guy into the fire and let him play 14, 15 minutes. 6 1 8. Do you think the Blues should have challenged the uh, JT Miller goal? I don't because there was no goalie interference, and you can't challenge the officials for blowing the whistle earlier than what they did. If you go back and watch that replay, the puck hits the leg pads of Jake Allen that's underneath him. He's sitting on it. If he would have sat there for a couple of se- couple more seconds, I think the officials would have blown that dead. But the problem was the puck was loose in between his legs, and from him sitting down to laying down, the puck came loose. And look, that, that's that puck battle in front of the crease, and that's how the Vancouver Canucks get to Jake Allen. They were starting to put a lot more bodies at the top of that crease and pushing at the puck to try and get it through. So there was no goalie interference. There really wasn't anything there. It was just a loose puck that Jake Allen wasn't able to cover up. 6-1-8, I'm concerned about Dunn. Gave up some major possessions. I saw a lot of people talking about Dunn and Pareko last night. And look, it wasn't the best game for those two. Something wasn't right for Colton Pareko on the ice. Um, Vince Dunn as well. When Vince Dunn's on his game... He's playing a 200-foot game. He's got the speed. He's got speed like Cairo on the ice, um, but he just kind of gave up on that a little bit. That that second goal by Tyler Mott that bounced off of the linesman, really just an unfortunate bounce, Dan. That was going backwards, and Vince Dunn was on Mott, kind of gave up on that play because I think he thought Robert Thomas was going to stick with him. Two guys just ended it. And then Tyler Mott with the breakaway. So Dunn definitely wasn't on his game. There were some turnovers. There were some poor play in the own zone, in their own zone. But I don't know if he was the end result of this falling apart. It was kind of a, a full group effort there in that second period. Five seven three. Interesting question here. Looking at the games, do you see any kind of lack of conditioning the Blues have had going into this bubble? That is a really interesting question. I don't know if it's lack of conditioning. But I, I don't either. They they do look like they're off their their step a little bit. That's, I mean, look, I, I that's I do too. I, I do mean, see that a little bit. It, look at the end of the day, everyone's going through this same thing, Dan. Where there was no hockey for four months, but the difference was a lot of these teams were in their cities skating right when phase three opened. Now we all know phase three was open, but the NHL didn't mandate training camp opening. There was just, Hey, you can get out there for skating. And a lot of that were guys scattered all over the place skating, or some guys not hitting the ice for training camp before it started, whereas some teams were out there. So I think it's the opportunity to not be out there as long as some of the other teams. But again, it's, I don't know if it's lack of conditioning because these guys, these guys take a lot of respect and what, they do on the ice, but they just look off a step or two. Like Pareko looks off a step or two. Dunn looks off a step or two. They looked better in games three and games four, but there's individuals that just aren't where you expect them to be. And, you know, blame that on the four month layoff, blame that on not being out there before training camp started, whatever it may be. This is just uncharted territory from when you start in September and you play all the way through June to you start, you play till March, you stop for four months, you start back up, and then you start playing again. And also remember, they played three games while a lot of other teams were playing five games every other day. You were telling me you took a little heat for saying puck luck. Boy, I... uh 
Sometimes you need to have better choice words, I guess, when you're on post game, Dan. You know this, but look, I, I truly believe you're that just a rights holder. Okay, that's true. Just, you know, just, you're just you know a rights what? holder. Just put that uh, media credential away, Ferrario. <laughs> um, you know, hockey's such an interesting sport with this, Dan, and you know this. You know, there, there's no, there's no ball luck in baseball or in basketball or in football. Like it just happens. It's, it happens. But with, with hockey, it's a bounce. And I cited this in post game last night. Go back to that Dallas Stars series in the second round last year. If that puck doesn't hit Jay Bowmeister's stick on the wraparound the right way, that's bouncing over his stick into the net. You're talking about the Stars and the Sharks in the conference final. If you don't see that puck bounce off of the linesman last night, you're not talking about an odd man rush for Tyler Mott to put the Blues on top or put Vancouver on top for three. And Jeremy Rutherford and I talked about this on Behind the Bench last night. It's one of those things that you have to have puck luck on top of being the hardest working team on the ice if you want to win the Stanley Cup. This is the hardest trophy to win in all of sports. You got to play the game the right way. You got to play a full 60 minutes. All of those cliche sayings. But you also have to hope that the hockey gods like you in this series and hope that those puck bounces work in your favor. Yes, the Blues need to capitalize on those opportunities. But look, as I mentioned, the puck that bounces off the linesman goes the other way. The stick breaking on Petrangelo that leads to the breakaway on the shorthanded opportunity. Um, it's just one of those things that I think affects games. It's not the reason they lost, but it definitely affects the outcome of hockey games like it did last night. All right, game six, when is it? Game six is Friday, and hey, Dan, they thought, you know what, St. Louis, you guys have been so great with these late starts, yeah. we're going to give it to you an hour earlier. So hour we get earlier. an 8.30 start on Friday, Dan. 8.30 start, but they've always been, they, they kind of, it's like 8.40, 8.45. It's 8.45, they yeah. say, which is going to turn into 8.50, which, oh, hey, the other team went long, so we're going to push this back. We'll start at 9.30, probably. That's yeah. how the NHL works. But That's what I figured. No, it's an eight, It's an, supposed to be an 8.45 start, but we have pregame at 7.30 on Friday, and um, you know what? 45 minutes earlier is best, but it's a Friday, so people can sleep in on Saturday a little you bit. You got it. Uh, looking forward to that. Have you with uh, tomorrow come in, if you yeah. will, for your top three, uh, top three, I, I guess your your three things that the Blues have to do to stave off elimination. I like that. Three keys to stay away from elimination. That's I was trying to say. What am I trying to say? Three keys. Dan, doubleheader and a radio show, <laughs> and you woke up and threw your phone at the wall because of a Blues loss. I, I mean, did. It's a rough day. It's, it's a, been a rough it's a day, rough 24 man. hours, man. That's all right. But the Cardinals are back at Bush today, so I'm happy about that. And they pulled out the victory yesterday in one of them. You got it. Alex, awesome stuff. Danny Mac, thanks, buddy. You got it. Alex Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. So when the wind's blowing in, you hit the ball too high, it knocks it down, but the line drives will jump. The 2-1... Like Driven out to deep center. How about the first time this year? Let's say it. Grand Slamma. Grand Slam. Matt Carpenter, you could see it coming. Grand Slam at Wrigley. He came in hitting 491 on a 2-1 pitch. He smoked that baby. 4-0 Cardinals with one swing of the bat. Carpenter destroyed this pitch. Matt Carpenter, after that at bat, was hitting 500 in his career with the bases loaded. 
That's ridiculous. 500 with the bases loaded. Matt Carpenter now with the bases loaded, an average in his career of 500. I know that, um, you know, obviously you have your career and you know when you have success and moments. And I feel like I've always, you know, had good at bats and bases loaded situations. Um, it wasn't until like I think last year um, or maybe a year ago, a year or two years ago where someone had, you know, started to get some attention, um, the numbers. Um, that's when it kind of, when I started to hear about it. Um, but it's just a confidence thing. I mean, when I get into that box and with those burners out there, um, you know, my game is the strike zone. It always has been. Um, and when I get into a position where there's nowhere for the pitcher to go, um, he can't afford to walk me. I just feel really confident in those moments. And I'm just being able to have some success in it. Yeah, you just see he, he the pressure is on the pitcher. He's not one that chases. He did come up later in the doubleheader with the bases loaded again in the same game. Uh, was called out on a strike. And uh, so I guess now he's probably back to like 490 or something like that. He stinks with the bases loaded. Wow. It's amazing. Amazing. So the Blues last night, uh, they were up 3-1 and then fell to the Vancouver Canucks. So the Blues once again stick to form and lose a two-goal lead and then lose the game. Markstrom is going to get the win. He was outstanding in the Blues face elimination now on Friday night, having given up a game that was in their grasp tonight. That's a disappointing finish as the Blues fall to the Canucks, and now the Blues have to repeat what they did last season in the second round, win the next two games if they're going to move on in their title defense. As Alex said, they'll be on the air tomorrow at uh, 8.30. 8.30 with the drop of the puck, the Blues and the Canucks, and that will be game number six tomorrow night so uh danny max 636 what's the status on the health of the reds just tuned in um they're fine they played a doubleheader last night against the kansas city royals they should be in town and it's the first of four and it'll be sunny gray and adam wainwright uh tonight and you can see the game on fox sports midwest will be on the air at 6 30 so cardinal baseball is back first of four against the reds and first time we've uh, seen cincinnati they've got really good pitching so They did have one player that tested positive. They were ultra uh, conservative with how they dealt with that situation. Everything's fine, apparently. Knock on wood. And we've got baseball tonight. So looking forward to that. We'll cross it over. Ribs and BK coming up next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. All right, I had that crazy kid. Uh, I say the kid. I shouldn't say kid because he's not a kid. Who? Ferrario. Oh, yeah. He's not a kid. He's a nutbag. He's all grown up, Dan. And he's smart. And he he's got all the info. You know, he's telling me why the Blues lost last night, and I got to listen to it, and he's right 100%. <laughs> and I don't want to hear it. You know, now I got to have you come in here and tell me why the Blues lost last night. I don't want to hear that either. Yeah, look, um, last night was the first time. So you're going to tell me or what? Okay, well, they had a little mental lapse halfway through the game. They're up 3-1. Come on. Yeah, I listen, I know. But if you look at the game itself, right, and let's compare it to baseball for a second. And my my good buddy, BK, who we were just giving it to the last couple of days with expected hit rate and all this stuff, right? Yeah. And unlucky and lucky baseball. 
Last night, the Blues were unlucky as much as they made their own problems. Alex Petrangelo breaks his stick at the top of the umbrella on the yeah. power play. Yeah. Unlucky. It ends up in the back of the net. The board, the puck comes around the boards, goes off a player, off the linesman, out to the middle of the ice for a breakaway. There's a goal there. Um, bad goal on Jake Allen's short side. He's looking for the backdoor pass that wasn't there. Yep. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not really worried, Dan. Okay. I, I, I threw about at least... I'd say 80 topics at Ferrario in about a 10-minute period. He's knocking them out of the park. I mean, he's hitting 1,000. He's doing great. And I, I, I want him to hit like 90. You know, I want him to hit uh, <laughs> it, and tell me some other things. And he's he's awesome on these hits. And he's right on all this stuff. And I, I'm just like, come on, man. Tell me that why the Blues should have won. They should have won, for sure. They absolutely should have won. The analytics support it, too. Is that right? It, the yeah, expected absolutely. win rate on that one oh, was boy. very high, right? It, yes, it, it was. There's the other guy there that's going to tell um, me why. Oh, hey, BK. What's going on, Dan? Bounces, How you doing, buddy? You know, that, that found their way in, just like some of the, the hits from the players that are, you know, not very good exit velocity off the bat uh, that find their way into a gap. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Okay. All right. What do you guys have coming up on the show? Well, we've got uh, the know birthday tune boy. In. I know you're going to be listening, Dan. Yeah. I know that. Uh, Joey Vitale, the birthday boy, is going to be joining us coming up at noon. Very excited about that. I have been wrong about everything with the Cardinals, Dan. <laughs> I mean everything. Like, you can't be more wrong about anything in your life than I have been in the last 24 hours about the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, so. It can switch on it. That's... Hey, look, baseball is like a massive book. It changes every day. Yeah, every day is a new we chapter. we have a show today to do, so it's we're going to okay, talk about BK. how wrong I've been You're off the today. hook. You're off the hook. No, he's it's not. Okay. No, he's not. <laughs> so uh, our guys, Jeremy, or J- Jeremy Rutherford, Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario have found all of the audio about everything that I've been wrong about. Oh, they're going to. They put a compilation together, so we'll hear that coming up here in about 15 minutes. They're going to stick it to you, huh? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's All our right. job, Dan. It's our job. I, You know, I just have to ask you what's coming up. I just have to tee it up. I'm sorry. That's part of the crossover. <laughs> sorry, BK. I'm looking forward to it, though. Well, thank you, Dan. We All are, right. too. Looking forward to it. Scotty, great job. I'll be back with you guys tomorrow at 10, and this is 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.